Well, g'day folks and welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. This is a podcast covering aviation issues, the airlines, general aviation and anything else we can think of to do with the subject from an Australia-Pacific perspective. My name is Steve Vischer. I hold a commercial pilot's licence in the United States, a private pilot's licence here in Australia. I've studied freelance journalism and I currently make my living driving trains here in Melbourne. And I'm Grant McCarran. I hold a uh, student pilot's licence in fixed wing and I'm working on a student pilot's licence with ballooning as well. I'm also a commercial ground crew for the hot air balloons that fly over Melbourne, Australia, and I also manage the blog for a 737 simulator organisation here in Melbourne. We are both aircraft tragics, we've both been well and truly bitten by the aviation bug. We love to read all sorts of news on all manner of articles to do with aviation, and uh, we've been very privileged to have been allowed to participate in the Airplane Geeks podcast over the last several months, recording our Australia desk report, and what we're going to do here is just for the first few weeks is, is trial doing this by cobbling together the entire report rather than the rather heavily edited version that we send off to the guys in the US. Yes, you get to hear it warts and all. Warts and all, of course, minus all the bloopers. Not that we make any grant. Oh no, never, never. There's never any here. Uh, we set up a website that is www.planecrazydownunder.com. You can send us an email at planecrazydownunder at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is PCDU, as in playing crazy down under. Please uh, send us any of your comments, positive or negative, so that we can make this a more informative and entertaining podcast for you to listen to. Yeah, our intention with the format of the podcast is to go through some news and uh, discuss some items that are relevant to the uh, South Pacific area and aviation. And uh, where possible, we'll also get some people in for interviews. We know quite a few people in the uh, in the area involved in aviation, be it photography, pilots, ground crew, these kind of things. So we'll be getting a lot of people in to uh, make their comments. And so now that you know a bit about who we are and what we're about, let's get on to our first article. Let's go for it. Our first story this week is dealing with the Emirates Airlines A340 tail strike. And uh, we have an article in the Sunday Herald Sun this week from uh, an article by Ellen Winnett. And she's been talking to the captain of the Emirates jet. Now, she hasn't named the captain, or more to the point, he doesn't want to be named. The story reads, the uh, pilot at the controls of, of an Emirates jet that almost crashed at Melbourne Airport has revealed how he saved 275 lives. Breaking a four-month silence, the pilot told how he managed to wrench the fully loaded plane into the air just seconds before it almost crashed. The pilot says he still doesn't know how he got it off the ground and he thought he was going to die. Uh, it was that close, he's quoted as saying. He goes on to say that it was the worst thing in 20 years of flying and it was the worst thing I felt but thank God we got it off the ground safely. Uh, the pilot's described here as a 42 year old European man. Uh, goes on to talk about how uh, realising that the plane uh, did not have enough speed to get off the ground with the co-pilot or the first officer at the controls. The last second the pilot engaged the TOGA takeoff go around procedure. Basically fired while the throttles and got the plane off the ground. Now we've talked about this several times before but this is the first time we've actually heard from the pilot. Yeah, I think the kicker here is um, towards the end of the article where despite the ATSB having said that fatigue was not a factor because the pilots had flown less than the 100 hours maximum they're allowed per month. The pilot states, the captain states, that he had only slept for three and a half hours in the past 24. Now that, I've got to say, is just bad. That's really bad. You are fatigued. That's bad and it certainly is the issue that has been speculated about here in the local media for really ever since this happened. Um, now there, there was talk about the uh, the ground crew placing the wrong data in the uh, flight management 
management computer prior to takeoff with regard to weight and balance. Emirates is saying here that there's uh, four layers of checks that should have picked up that error in the cockpit by the flight crew and failure to do so was quite unquote perplexing. Yeah, look, the, this whole thing of, of air crew fatigue is a big hot potato right now. Um, in the US, you've got the Colgan Air crash. Here, you've got this one from Emirates. And like we said the other time we talked about this, where does your rest really start? Is your rest when your door closes in your hotel room and you get to go to sleep? Or is your rest a certain number amount of hours after your aircraft has touched down? Because as we were saying last time, you've got the delays leaving, you've got the delays in the air where you're in a holding pattern, you've got the delays on the ground after you've landed before you get to your gate, you've got your delays once you get off the aircraft and go through customs and then waiting for the bus, waiting for your room to be ready at the hotel. It's easy to be awake for 24 to 36 hours on long haul, plus going through time zones and having jet lag. It's it's just nuts. And the, the airlines, are many airlines are just pushing this to the maximum they can. And they're not really considering how many hours have you actually slept in the previous 48? How many hours have you been awake when you report? You know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think that's particularly an issue when they're flying down here to Australia, particularly into Melbourne. We are a long way south, really a long way from most other countries. It says here that the, the, the plane originated in Dubai and the length of that flight is 14 and a half hours direct. Yeah, now they do fly with multiple co-pilots and second officers and so on to spread the load. But um, the pilot is quoted here saying, long haul flying is really, really fatiguing really demanding on your body he said you, you feel sort of normal and abnormal and uh, he'd only been in Melbourne for 24 hours before his flight the Melbourne Dubai flight is the most tiring trip he's ever done in his career he says you're always out of whack now that's that's just not good no it's not good now we have these uh, these flights of this duration coming in not only from the Middle East but uh, you know the flights across the Pacific from the United States are also of a similar length I think around 14 hours Los Angeles to Sydney yeah so if it's uh, if it's potentially you know if, if, if this is an issue for Emirates Airlines, uh, you have to question, is it also an issue, particularly when you've got US carriers coming in here and uh, there's been a lot of talk on the Airplane Geeks podcast uh, recently about fatigue issues amongst flight crews in American carriers. This is certainly something that, that really needs to be addressed here by the ATSB when you've got these flights coming in. The, the pilot says he's been in Mel- he had been in Melbourne for 24 hours and yet he'd only slept three and a half hours of that. Why? I mean, the question is, why is it that he'd only slept three and a half hours in 24 and he'd been in Melbourne for 24? Was that 24 hours since he landed and it's now 24 hours later he's taking off? And in that time, he's had to you know, go through all the shutdown procedures, get to the hotel, get into the hotel, sleep, wake up, get out to the airport, do the pre-flight planning and so on. Mm. Now, if that's the case, you can see where three and a half hours is. But if not, if he had had that time to sleep, why didn't he sleep more in that 24 hours? Was it yeah. because he was working? Was it because he'd gone out to the bar? with mates was it because he got into his room and because of all the time zone changes he could not sleep yeah i mean i'm not i'm not saying anything bad about the pilot i'm just intrigued to know why he only was able to sleep three and a half hours and 24 what was it that prevented that was it work was it his body not allowing him to sleep because of time zone changes or or was it that he was a bit silly and went out and saw the sights which i don't think he would because he said he's been to Melbourne lots of times. Yeah, so uh, Grant, that's an, uh, an article. Um, I know we thought we had some closure on it. We said we had some closure on it last week when we commented on the plane flying away. However, um, it's it's an issue that keeps coming back with uh, more and more news, so we feel we should uh, continue to report on it, and uh, we'll keep you posted in uh, future reports. Sounds good.
Our next article this week, uh, just for something different, we're going to have a look at the world of defence. And uh, we've got an article here talking about the Royal Australian Air Force's purchase of 24 F-A-18 Super Hornets. So it appears, Grant, that the first one has rolled off the assembly line in St. Louis. Yep, that's correct. It has been reported in a number of places in the media that the uh, first of 24 F-A-18F Block 2 Super Hornets for the Royal Australian Air Force has been, uh, it's been rolled off in a ceremony at uh, St. Louis. And it's actually three months ahead of schedule so that's really good news for Boeing given all the fun they've been having with the wedge tail. Obviously this project's not being managed by any, any bureaucrats in the Australian government or it wouldn't be off the line for another six months. True catty but true. <laughs> yeah this, this this has been reported in a number of places in the media but I found that the uh, coverage on AV web was pretty comprehensive they go into a fair bit of detail and discussions with various people on the uh, what the impact is to the RAF to have these Super Hornets. The fact that the Super Hornets are basically being put together as, as a bridge for the F-35 isn't actually mentioned. They just focus purely on the um, on the Super Hornet. I mean, the Super Hornets are going to, going to be a great Im- improvement for Australia, and it's really good to have it coming along. It's supposed to be a bridge because of the F-35 delays between the F-111 going and the F-18 winding down itself, the classic. So uh, they needed something to bridge the gap, similar to how we had those F-4 Phantoms for a while while we are waiting for the F-111 to come online. We're going to have these Super Hornets, and it's not impossible to predict the future of Super Hornets and F-35s when that eventually comes online. Australia does operate a number of F-A-18A classic Hornets, I guess you would call them these days, and they came into service in the mid-1980s, uh, and they were, uh, they've been teamed up ever since then with their uh, F-111 fleet. Now, Australia is the only nation left on the planet that still operates the F-111s, but uh, they'll be pulled out of service at the end of this year, and the uh, these are blocked to F-A-18F Super Hornets. Yeah, they're being brought in as a stopgap measure to uh, yeah. give us a bit of uh, extra strike capability have you have you ever seen a, a super hornet right next to a classic hornet it's great it looks like somebody washed the classic hornet and it shrunk a bit it's, yeah. it's sort of it's sort of like seeing one of the Embraer um e190s next to a 737 well, all i know is that every every second year that uh, ricardo traven comes out here from uh, boeing defense and puts on a fantastic display with his uh, super hornet and I'm, I'm sure some of our fighter pilots in the royal australian air force will be uh, relishing the thought of uh, being able to get into a, a vastly upgraded hornet very seriously aviation woody as they call it anywho you did mention in there about the uh, f-111 being retired and uh, as they say in with the new well out with the old at the same time as they're doing that we're having the uh, caribou commence its retirement we uh, we've been fl- with once again we're the only country still flying the uh, caribou in active service and um, yeah we've stretched it for a pretty long time given they came into service between 68 and 71 but uh, the first one is being retired and has just come out of maintenance so it's in a good condition to go off to become a museum display. Yeah there's an article here in the Australian newspaper this week by Steve Creedy talking about that aircraft. This is here the Caribou was one of a fleet of 29 to serve with the Australian military over the last 45 years uh, and in fact saw three years of service in Vietnam from 68 to 71 uh, and it's heading off to the uh, Royal Australian Air Force Museum at Point Cook which is in Melbourne and uh, we'll certainly look forward to seeing it out there. Uh, It says here also there's just 13 Caribous remaining in the fleet and they're due to retire from active service in December. Yep, so long, Boo. It's been great. The thing that always amazes me about that aircraft is its uh, its short takeoff, its short field performance. It's just amazing. Every, I mean, we only ever see them at air shows here, of course. Although they're a very slow aircraft, the amount of time it takes those things to get in the air is very short, and it's, it's, it's always amazing to watch, I think. Well, at one Avalon air show, it was during one of the trade days that I was working down there. We were out on the tarmac working away, and the call came over the radio for uh, uh, the joke was on the ground frequency. They were going to clear the caribou to land on the 
uh, helipad because the headwinds were so strong. And it was it was practically hovering. It was quite impressive. And always good when you see them doing the wheelbarrow where they run along, they come in and land on the nose wheel. And I, I'm sure you've seen the caribou displays where they're cranking it around. They've got the ramp open. You've got the loadies waving in the back. It's it's pretty hilarious. It's pretty great, and um, yeah, it's always very entertaining. Uh, certainly hope we'll see them in a few more air shows, but that's probably not going to be the case. Sadly, I think at the last Avalon air show they promoted it as the uh, farewell flight for the caribou. And uh, I've got some video of that on my, uh, you can have a look on my website too, and I've got some video of uh, a couple of passes. Cool. Shall we talk Tiger? Now, Grant, uh, another article here, a follow-up from an article that we did last week on our favourite airline here at the podcast, uh, Tiger Airways, uh, talking about uh, their plans to expand their fleet. Uh, We have another article from the Australian newspaper this week, also by Steve Creedy, and uh, it's brought some interesting figures from their PR department, so I'll just read the article. Tiger Airways will expand its Australian fleet by adding a seventh aircraft, an A320, later this year. The airline estimates that the new aircraft, to be based in Melbourne, will add 500,000 seats or 25% more capacity at its Tullamarine Airport operations. That's a lot of seats, Grant. Yeah, I think think they're going to have that one little aircraft going back and forth a hell of a lot. Yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) Gee whiz, I have to keep the maintenance up on it. Tiger Airways today also said that the that recruitment of an additional 30 pilots and cabin crew was already underway and that the aircraft would operate by the start of the Australian summer. Just in time to help make their uh, reality TV show look better. Yes, they are also doing their reality TV show now. Uh, uh, Grant and I were talking before we started recording. Um, I am going to watch it. Grant is not going to watch it, so I'll let you know how that looks next week. Um, I believe it's made by the same people that uh, made the uh, airline series in the UK and uh, Airline US which followed Southwest Airlines. I'll tell you, I've watched every episode of all of those. Those of you who know me will be unsurprised. Oh, dear, 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 dear. It is perhaps possible that the uh, reality TV show is also influencing Tiger's um, customer service group. The service with a snarl is becoming a perk. Uh, recently, according to an article I've got here from uh, ABC, a Tiger Airways plane was um, put offline for 24 hours in Alice Springs. And uh, rather than just telling everyone, well, go figure it out for yourselves, they actually put up all the passengers at a hotel for the night. Well, that's an amazing improvement. In fact, well, that's a great improvement and it's good to hear that they're doing that. It's certainly the time that I flew with them, uh, we were just left stranded when an aircraft became unserviceable. So uh, that, that's exactly what they should be doing. They should be selling a, a service, a product more than just a seat on an aircraft. Yep, they're not Ryanair and hopefully this shows that they're turning away from the Ryanair you bums do what we say model. Yes, and we'll look forward to not seeing a uh, coin slot on the toilets on board those A320 aircraft. Or <laughs> people standing up on on, what's the latest one from Ryanair and from an Asian from a Chinese airline Chinese airlines talking to Airbus and Ryanair are talking to Boeing about bar stool standing room only for some rows of seats yeah I think Courtney uh, Courtney Miller commented on that last week and all I can say is that uh, well we agree entirely with his sentiments whiskey tango foxtrot oh hell yes and speaking of service with a snarl it's interesting to note that Qantas seems to have taken on some of Tiger's old customer service methods according to an article in the ABC news here. A Qantas uh, A330 was hit by lightning shortly before landing in Perth and uh, this in turn delayed its departure due to ground engineers having to give it a very thorough checkout to make sure it was all intact and uh, everyone was told, the passengers were told look after yourselves, go home we'll 
tell you when it's time to go because it was actually going to be delayed by almost a day while they worked on it. Everyone was getting quite upset. And in fact, uh, the Australian Federal Police, who uh, provide policing services inside the international airports, they actually had to um, calm down some passengers. The article here, which you know, which we're getting off the ABC News website, uh, quotes a customer here saying that the lady at the customer service desk put over an announcement that anybody who lives in Western Australia uh, had to go home and ring at 10 a.m. the next morning and rebook and then got irate at us when we pointed out that they didn't live in Perth. In fact, they live 650 kilometres away. Yep. Welcome to Australia. 650 kilometres and you're still in the same state. <laughs> <laughs> and what state's that? Irate. The state of annoyance. The state of annoyance. So um, uh, it must be so. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a Perth airport based thing. Uh, going back to my Tiger Airways incident, that's exactly where that happened. Uh, well, Perth airport is dodgy at the best. It's got a lot of problems. Yeah. However, that's no reflection on the fine people of Western Australia. Uh, Perth is a wonderful city and if you've got the chance to go there I'd certainly advocate doing it. I think the Perth people think that Perth is a wonderful place it's just a shame about how you have to get here guys you'd have to drive a heck of a long way or go through Perth Airport. Actually there is a a sequel to this Um, just going further on from the um, from the Perth incident uh, Qantas are actually going to compensate stranded passengers. It took them a little while but their uh, their proper customer service group did finally take over and apologised profusely for the delay. Of course safety must come first but uh, acknowledged the problems and said that they were going to provide some form of compensation. That's good to hear and of course Qantas is the uh, really the only full service airline in this country so it's that's the sort of service that you would expect from them. Uh, that's what you'd hope for but hasn't been seeing a lot of that in Qantas lately. And uh, yeah Grant uh, we're talking here about their uh, service with a snail as you put it and uh, it turns out there may be a reason for it. It turns out that they, uh, Qantas is looking at quite a plunge in its profit this year. Yeah well that's uh, once again this is a Steve Creedy writing in the Australian and uh, he's saying that RBS analysts are stating that the uh, airline's fiscal 2010 profit before tax will be a measly 172.1 million down from the 284.5 million they had previously predicted so yeah they are this is RBS their analysts are saying that they don't think Qantas are going to make anywhere near as much money in the current financial year yeah they've certainly taken a hammering uh, like every other airline around the world uh, in the last few years um, the high oil prices really hit Qantas I think pretty hard uh, the Australian dollar has also uh, whilst it was quite strong at the start of the year it's it's, it's dropped quite markedly which uh, has a flow on effect to operating costs for carriers yeah. like Qantas when they're buying their oil well they've, they've also been copying a bit of a beating over this whole um, air cargo the freight cartel that uh, the ACCC and now Canada's find them as well yeah there's an article in the age.com.au the age newspaper here in Melbourne by Matt O'Sullivan this week talking about Qantas who uh, say we're guilty again uh, Qantas has admitted to illegally fixing air cargo charges in a third country, the latest chapter of the unravelling global cartel that is set to climax shortly when European authorities are expected to hand down a heavy fine to the Australian carrier. Qantas has already been fined in Canadian dollars uh, 155000 uh, by Canada's federal court after it pleaded guilty to participating in the freight cartel. Now, of course, it's not just Qantas. It's also in Canada. It's been uh, Air France, KLM and Martin Air out of uh, the Dutch, that's the Dutch carrier, that have all been uh, found guilty as well. Now, Qantas has left us with uh, no shortage of articles to comment on this week, but uh, one of the more interesting ones is uh, news of a Qantas A380 go-around that they uh, experienced uh, on approach to London's Heathrow Airport this week. That's correct. I mean, doing nothing to help their uh, carbon footprint. At uh, 1,900 feet, they had to fire all the throttles, pull up the gear and go around. Um, according to staff writers in The Australian, uh, at theaustralian.news.com.au, they got a cockpit steering system fault message and uh, decided to do a go-around, uh, retracted the gear, 
air, put it out again, and uh, managed to land. Everything seemed okay. They landed, but then they were unable or unwilling to steer themselves off the runway and wound up sitting on the runway for half an hour while a uh, tug came out and towed them off. Yes, and uh, GOS, wouldn't you like to be the PR department at uh, Airbus Industries at the moment? They uh, they don't seem to be able to take a trick, although this is probably just a, one of those things that could happen to uh, anyone anywhere, regardless of what they're flying. Yes, but uh, as we see, like when Qantas was having some maintenance problems, any little problem was suddenly huge in front page that Qantas had another fault. And it, things that happen every day suddenly became huge. Well, now anything that goes wrong with anything that says Airbus is huge. And uh, it's just the way the media works, I guess. One can only hope as a positive from this that... Uh, uh, any number of uh, usual airplane geeks might have been out there with their cameras poised and uh, we'll hope to look on air- airliners.net or similar type websites for some great shots of that Airbus A380 sitting on well, the tarmac. Funny you should mention that because if you go to the article in the australian.news.com.au they actually have a video there of the beastie going around. The um, plane spotters were out in force and managed to uh, get footage of it not only going around but also landing and taxiing and going out the next day. Uh, this next article appeared in the Australian newspaper on July 10, talking about uh, Jetstar and their their adventures over in New Zealand. Uh, they've been having a bit of trouble uh, accusing New, New Zealand of trying to perhaps sabotage their, their ventures over there. Oh, uh, no, an airline wouldn't do that, would it? Surely not. And, um, of course, Jetstar is basically taken over in New Zealand from Qantas, who were operating, I think, some domestic routes there. Now Jetstar is doing it instead. Jetstar, of course, being part of the Qantas group. This article reads that Jetstar apologises for late arrivals and poor customer service in New Zealand. The company took out full-page advertisements in New Zealand newspapers this week, saying it was sorry for inconveniencing travellers in the four weeks since it began operations in the country. It pledged to give customers whose flights arrive more than an hour late at any time over the next three months some vouchers to compensate. Wow. Uh, Jetstar has been plagued by late departures and customers have complained that they were left behind because staff closed flights while they were still waiting in queues. Large arrival in New Zealand offered inconvenience to Jetstar travellers cheap seats as complaints about the Melbourne-based newcomer mounted. Mm, it sounds like Jetstar went in, into New Zealand and tried to be like Tigerware over here. Sounds like they're uh, operating out of the same operating manual. Now, <laughs> you can't blame New Zealand for uh, being aggressive in their marketing strategy. That and much is certain. I'm nothing, nothing like, you know, there's no love lost across the Tasman that's for sure. They're certainly not, and I don't blame New Zealand for trying to uh, make themselves look look like the bright and shining star in all of this. I mean, that's that to me just seems like good business. Uh, Jetstar were complaining uh, in the in previous weeks about perhaps some unfair or dirty tricks by Air New Zealand with regard to their arrival in the country, but um, I think that's just business, and they should just get on with it and offer better service. It's not like Jetstar wouldn't do that. Jetstar runs services between Australia and New Zealand. The airline op- also operates 84 budget flights a week between New Zealand's three largest cities and the South Island resort of Queenstown. It competes with Air New Zealand and Pacific Blue, another budget airline operated by Virgin Blue, in a market where consumer spending is falling amid the worst recession in more than three decades. Uh, Jetstar's apology came after a slinging match between Jetstar and Air New Zealand after the Australian airline claimed its troubled Kiwi launch had been sabotaged by dirty tricks. Oh, but by the way, I note that the um, the vouchers that the customers get are New Zealand $50, which is a whole 31 Australian dollars at the moment, um, if they're flights are more than one hour late arriving so that should just about cover the uh, extra cost of food and coffee while you're waiting yes if you think uh, the cost of things are expensive here in australia well um, they're probably even more so over there in uh, in kiwi land well especially if you're waiting in an airport that always adds a factor of oh, what 50 percent more at any airport yes of course well i don't mind being stuck in an airport at any time <laughs> <laughs> now grant we've covered tiger airways this week we've covered jetstar we haven't covered air new zealand so let's not forget our friends over at virgin blue 
Blue. We're looking at an article here by Steve Creddy and again in the Australian this week talking about uh, V Australia, which is Virgin Blue's Trans-Pacific offshoot. They're joining forces with Delta Airlines from the United States. Uh, Virgin Blue and Delta Airlines want to form a joint venture across the Pacific that will pose a major headache for Qantas but may not be an immediate threat to cheap airfares on the route. The move comes as consumers are enjoying the cheapest Trans-Pacific airfares for years, but airlines are unable to make money because of a combination of falling premium traffic and the unsustainably low ticket prices. Virgin, no one's travelling, in other words. Well, I can tell you, as someone who's uh, participating in those cheap prices at the moment, uh, there's some fantastic deals to be had. Virgin yeah. and Delta said this week that they were filing applications for antitrust immunity with the US Department of Transportation and the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. They also revealed that they are moving to implement code sharing, frequent flyer program reciprocity, and lounge That's exchange. That's a hell of a word. Yeah, big word for me. <laughs> Where was I? Don't ask me to say it again. And lounge exchange privileges ahead of the joint venture. The airlines will argue that the joint venture will expand their reach in the US, Australia and the South Pacific and allow them to compete more effectively against incumbents Qantas and United Airlines. Now V Australia only started operating this year. They don't have a huge foothold yet and one of the main reasons for that I believe is that they operate only out of Sydney and Brisbane at the moment. Uh, I think they're waiting on an approval from the from Air Services Australia to operate from Melbourne. I know the flight that I'm doing to the United States uh, later this month has me travelling from Melbourne to Brisbane first and then across to Los Angeles for example. Oh, okay. Well, it could be worse. You could have be having to go to um, Sydney. But I had... <laughs> I had seen yeah, I'm jumping straight along before any Sydney siders try and kill me uh, I, I had seen the V777 a couple of times flying into Melbourne I think that was when it was just doing route proving and, and coming in for maintenance and things yeah they had it down here at the Avalon Air Show uh, when I was I there that too triple seven yep yep I miss uh, the film crew were doing a walkthrough of it but I missed out on the chance for it because I was off doing other things the article also goes on to say here that the Australian carrier V Australia has been struggling under the current economic conditions and while its load factors have been steadily increasing in recent months Chief Brett Godfrey describes yields as, yields as atrocious uh, this was also covered in an article last week which outlined the first flight of Delta Airlines uh, operating uh, while well, their first flight from the US and it came into Sydney I believe and that also was a 777 aircraft yep it's the route for tri- 777s and 747s and that's about everything we have for you here folks on the very first episode of Plane Crazy Down Under we'd like to thank uh, soundsnap.com and partnersinrhyme.com for supplying us with uh, sound effects and music uh, also a very very big thank you to Max Flight and especially Courtney Miller who I'm sure I've driven mad over the last few weeks with uh, messages and emails looking for advice but those two guys have been uh, wonderfully supportive of uh, what we're trying to do here so we really do appreciate that. Yeah Matt definitely mad props out to those two guys because I mean they're always great to have them uh, helping us become the next new big thing that takes over from them. Oh did I say that? <laughs> so uh, again the uh, website is plainecrazydownunder.com you can send us an email at plainecrazydownunder at gmail.com. You can also reach us on twitter at pcdu that's our handle pcdu as in playing crazy down under so you can follow us on twitter there and mostly thanks to all of you for listening to our first podcast here i'm steve visher and i'm grant mccarran and we'll be back and talking to you once again very soon with the next episode of playing crazy down under